great news. For a limited time, you can get one month free of Spectrum Mobile service. That's right, one month free with any new line. This exclusive offer is only available at select Spectrum stores. So stop by today. Our team of mobile experts are ready to help you switch and save hundreds on your mobile bill. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. Come see us at Market at Hilliard, Taylor Square, and Waterloo Crossing. Spectrum Internet and auto pay required. Restrictions apply. Visit store for details. The Exxon Radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. We're coming to you live and around the world on the Talk Star Radio Network. Our toll-free number is one 877 Toll-free throughout the U.S., Canada, Alaska, and Hawaii. My email address is exxon at talkstarradio.com. On MSN Messenger, talkstarradio at hotmail.com. And our website, www.exxonradio.com. My producer tonight at Master Control is the one and only Batman. Batman, nice working with you on a Monday night. My guest this hour is Diane Fanning. Now, on February the 5th, 2007, accomplished astronaut Lisa Nowak did something so seemingly bizarre that it wound up captivating the nation's attention for months. Nowak, a married mother of three, drove across country to confront and possibly kidnap or murder Captain Colleen Shipman a fellow astronaut and romantic rival. It was truly a story of fantasy and romantic obsession so strange that it sent shockwaves not only through NASA, but through the entire country. Reporter Diane Fanning is one of the few people in the world with enough knowledge of the events to tell us what truly happened during those fateful hours. Renowned as a gifted investigator with an uncanny ability at uh, getting even the most... um, Let's see, people who really don't want to participate, to participate in the story, to speak up. And she's going to tell us tonight the facts behind the astronaut case. Diane is an Edgar-nominated reporter with seven true crime titles under her belt, including Written in Blood, Through the Window, and Under the Knife. 
Her latest book, Out There, the in-depth story of astronaut of the astronaut love triangle case that shocked America, is the first book to truly explore the bizarre events of the Lisa Noah case. And Diane, how are you this evening? Doing great, Rob. Thanks very much for joining us, Diane. Um, what prompted you to write true crime stories? Well, I started writing true crime because I saw a true crime story that really resonated with me. Which one was when that? When I was nine years old, mm -hmm. I had been walking with a friend when a man pulled up and asked for directions. I um, thought he seemed like a nice guy. He was smiling and laughing. And so I talked to him, and he said, come up to my car and look at my map. So I walked up to look at his map, mm -hmm. and instead of seeing a map, he was exposing himself. Ooh. And he opened his car door and latched on to my upper arm, and I was just frozen in shock. Fortunately, at that time, a car came up over the hill, laid on its horn, and he pulled off, let go of me and pulled off without closing his door. I'd been watching Dragnet reruns on TV, mm -hmm. so I knew that what I needed to do was memorize his license plate. I did, and my mother called it into the police. They picked him up, and they found evidence in the trunk of his car that he had been responsible for the murder and abduction of an eight-year-old the month before. Oh, my gosh. And after he was arrested and I saw him on TV... It really put an interest in my mind about the psychology of the criminal mind. So when I was sitting and watching TV one night and saw the story of 10-year-old Crystal Searle, who had watched Tommy Lynn Sells kill her friend, had then had her own throat slit and left for dead, she got up, walked through an area filled with cactus and scorpions, got to the nearest house to get help. She was airlifted to San Antonio, Texas. And as soon as she came out of surgery, still unable to talk, she wrote down that she wanted the cops. And the cops came, and they brought a forensic art artist with them. And that little 10-year-old girl, who could not speak, worked so well with the artist that within a day they knew who had committed the crime and within two days, he was behind bars. All right, stand by, Diane. You and I have to take our commercial break. We'll be back in two minutes. Diane Fanning is our special guest, and her website is www.dianefanning.com. We'll be back in two minutes. Exxon Nation, don't go away. So this is Christmas. And what have you done? Another year over. And so this is Christmas I hope you have fun The near and the dear ones The old and the young Diane Fanning is our very special guest, XO Nation, and um, Diane... Spending so much time dealing with real-life tragedy must be emotionally draining for you. What makes it worthwhile for you? Well, when I write the true crime, part of what makes it worthwhile is that I meet so many fascinating people. 
uh, and not just the people that are involved as prosecutors and defense attorneys and police officers, but the victims' families. Some of those people are so incredible and inspiring because they can take what bad happened to them and turn that tragedy into something positive for other people. And it's amazing to see that transformation in their lives and wonderful to have them contacting me and letting me know about it. The other thing is, is knowing that my books can make a difference. For example, Through the Window was responsible for getting a new trial for a wrongfully convicted woman. And after her second trial, she was acquitted of the murder of her son because Tommy Lynn Sells had confessed to committing that crime. And then there's the domestic violence centers that write to me and say how important Gone Forever is and how they keep it in their library all the time and they want all the clients they serve to read it. There's things like that and that kind of feedback that really uh, makes a difference. What's it like to visit a prisoner on death row? Excuse me? I said, what's it like to visit a prisoner on death row? Well, it is kind of strange. Just going into prison in general is strange. Mm-hmm. And it you're treated like a number, as if you were a prisoner when you're waiting to visit one. But then going um, even worse to death row, they have a special visitation day for death row so that all the people that are visiting are visiting someone sentenced to die, which creates a weird atmosphere even before the prisoners are brought in. And then it is so strange just to look at all the different people in all the different cubicles and know that all these men are going to die. And some of them are talking to their mothers and acting very sweet with their mothers, and it's hard to accept that reality. But to me, the worst thing of all is, although I don't feel claustrophobic, death row makes me feel very claustrophobic. Because you step in to a door, Mm -hmm. and it clangs shut behind you, and then there's this delayed period of time before they open up the next door. And you start getting really antsy in there, wondering if you're ever going to get out. And you go through a couple of these double-locked doors before you get to the visiting area. And it's just, it's a very strange experience. Uh, And in Texas, I'm sure it's different from others, you're allowed to bring your driver's license, your car keys, and a roll of quarters. And that's it. How come? Why only the driver's license? All right, I guess that would be for identification, your car keys, because your car is in the parking lot. But what's the significance of the roll of quarters? You bring a roll of quarters because you are allowed to use that roll of quarters to buy snacks for yourself or when one of the jailers comes to see you, you can tell them what you want to buy for the prisoner, and they will take, you will put the quarters in the machine, mm-hmm. they'll get the drink or the snack out, put it in a brown paper bag, walk to the back and deliver it to the prisoner. And but the- you're not allowed to take paper or pencil, which makes it very difficult, because you have a uh, so I'd be in a position where I'd have a two-hour interview, mm-hmm. and then I'd have to race out to my car as quick as I could and write down everything I remembered. Holy cow. Fortunately, Sells was writing to me regularly, so 
if there was something I wasn't sure about or something I'd forgotten, I could ask him in a letter, and, and he'd fill in the blanks, usually, not always. Okay, you, speaking about cells, you visited him more than two dozen times. What is it yes. about him that makes him different from the rest of us? He is very strange in his thinking. He, he can commit the most awful crime, uh, derive pleasure from it, Mm-hmm. And then when it's all over, he actually, I believe he thinks about it this way and, and explains it in a way of, it wasn't my fault, I, I was kind of forced into it. For example, uh, the murder of little Haley in, Le- in Lexington, Kentucky, he said that it was the community's fault because about a year before he came to Lexington, Resendez, the railway killer, had been through and left uh, one dead body and one almost dead body on these railroad tracks. Well, on the other side of the railroad tracks was an overgrown area, and just beyond that was a park. He pulled up by the park, and he saw little Haley swinging in a swing. And he looked over, and he saw the overgrown area, and he knew that he had a place to drag her off to. So he knocked her off the wing, drove her, I mean, grabbed her and carried her into the overgrown area, sexually assaulted her, and killed her. But it wasn't his fault. It was the community's fault, he says, because if they cared about the children in the community, they would have cleaned that area up after Resendez was in there. He's got a strange way of looking at things. Yes, very strange. And he has a different excuse like that for every murder he committed. It's never really his fault. How many murders How many murders has he committed uh, all told? He has confessed to 50 and at that point he said he was 70% done with his confession. Um, they've been able to definitely link him to 20 murders. Some of the murders are very difficult to, to figure out because they're either so old mm-hmm. like back in the early 80s when in small towns the record-keeping wasn't that good, and he preferred small towns. Uh, perhaps a body has not been found. Some of the people that he killed were like the forgotten homeless people that no one really missed, and they were never even reported missing. And with many of them, he didn't know their name. So he could say the general area of where he killed them and where he left their body, but he had no idea who he was talking about. Um, like the most obscure one I can think of off the top of my head is he said in Detroit he killed a homeless black man and threw him in a dumpster. Well, you know, I imagine there have been a lot of homeless men found in dumpsters in Detroit over the last 30 years. So So how 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 does law enforcement narrow that down? Exactly. Impossible. Exactly. Now, you've written two books about husbands who killed their wives. Now, what did the perpetrators, the victims, and the crime have in common? What drew me to both of those stories was initially the victim. And what they had in common was, if you looked at their lives, you said there was no reason these women should be victims. Kathleen Peterson was a smart woman, the first Mm -hmm. woman ever to be admitted to the School of Engineering at Duke University. She was also a well-known supporter of the arts. She had a 
pre preeminent place in the society of Durham, North Carolina. She was loved by everybody. Couldn't find anybody who didn't like her. And somehow, this woman with all these qualities and being so well-loved is murdered by her husband. It made no sense. And then Susan McFarlane. She was um, a, worked for a communications company. She was in uh, management there. Her People who worked for her liked her. People who worked with her liked her. Her neighbors liked her. Her friends liked her. She had three little boys. She seemed to be an absolutely delightful person, and yet somehow her husband killed her. So that, that non-victim-looking person was in both cases murdered by the person that was supposed to love them the most. And then the two husbands, no one thought either one of them was capable of murder. But there was one thing they both had in common. They had a secret life. They had a room where no one was supposed to go into. Um, Richard McFarlane literally locked his, his office with a padlock in the middle of the house. Uh, Michael Peterson, everybody just knew you didn't mm -hmm. go into his study unless you were invited. You didn't go on his computer. And it was just a weird string of events that put Kathleen on his computer uh, the night that she died. And that's when she discovered his big secret, which was that he was seeing men at the YMCA and not actually going there to work out, and that he'd been bisexual all her life. And Kathleen left her first husband because he, he was seeing another woman. She was very high on fidelity, uh, did not like cheating, and so certainly if she was going to leave a man because he was seeing a woman, she's going to certainly leave a man who's seeing other men. And it, it is thought that she, when she discovered that, she confronted him, and that's why he killed her. You know, on the other hand, you've got Susan McFarland, who uh, was planning a divorce with infinite detail. She was an accountant, and she planned everything and took care of all the little nitty-gritty details, including finding a place for her husband to live and paying for it in advance so he wouldn't be out on the street when she served the, the order. Wow. So he found out by hacking into her computer, and he learned about what she was planning to do, and he killed her. And the sad thing in this country, and I believe that statistics in parts of Canada hold it up as well, the most dangerous time for any woman is the moment they decide to leave. That's right. And for months afterwards, many women are killed when they announce they're going to leave, and many are killed in the immediate aftermath. It's a very dangerous time. Diane, you and I have to take our commercial break at the bottom of the hour with the news. Please stand by. Diane, Diane Fanning is an Edgar-nominated author with nine books published, one mystery novel, seven true crimes, and an, one anthology. Diane has been featured on 2020, Forensic Files, the Discovery Channel, Court TV, and local TV channels, and has been interviewed on dozens of radio stations, coast-to-coast, and uh, she's going to be with us until the top of the hour. Her website, www.dianefanning.com. Diane and I will return after the news as the Exxon continues. We're right here live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
Still to come on tonight's show, XO Nation, Frank Joseph. He is the editor-in-chief of Ancient American Magazine. And Patrick Cook will be with us for this week's edition of The Cook Report. My guest this hour is Diane Fanning. Her website is www.dianefanning.com. Diane, you wrote about uh, Bobby Joe Stinnett, who was killed because the perpetrator wanted to steal her baby. How can other women avoid being victimized? Well, the thing that has changed a lot is that hospitals have become more safer for infants. And that safety, ironically, Mm -hmm. has made it less safe for women outside of the hospital. Uh, The one thing that the experts say never to do is to put up one of those signs in your yard that say that you just had a baby boy or a baby girl because that is a flag to someone looking for an infant abduction. Now, with someone who does a cesarean abduction like Lisa Montgomery did to Bobby Joe Stinnett, they want to find the baby before it's even born. And a lot of the reason for that is they want it to be their child. They do not want that baby to look at another mother and imprint that face. They want to be the first one the baby sees. Unreal. kind of a sick sick thing but that's what they do and so where do they look nowadays they look on the web and that is just how uh, Lisa Montgomery found Bobby Joe Stinnett Bobby Joe was a young woman married having her first baby she was all excited and on the web a website where she thought things were safe she posted a picture of herself pregnant and she became the target for Lisa Montgomery is it my imagination or these these stories that we're hearing about in the news are becoming more and more frequent? Well, the, the Caesarean abductions are becoming uh, more well-covered. And I think they're probably more frequent because it is impossible 
pretty much to get a newborn baby at, at a, out of a hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've really cracked down on the security for the infants. And so someone has to go outside of the hospital. Um, and the odd thing is, is these women, for the most part, are trying to hold on to a man by having a baby and faking a pregnancy. And then they have to put, they're not really pregnant, but somehow they got to come up with a baby to keep their man. So they steal one. Yeah. And they are narcissistic enough that the fact that they kill someone to get what they want doesn't trouble them. So they justify it in their own minds. Yes. Yes. I mean, their needs in their minds are more important than anyone else's life. What was different about... They fake pregnancy, Mm -hmm. and you wonder how they can even do that. Uh, But what the problem is... Is there something wrong with the marriage to start with? The man uh, is looking for an excuse not to have sexual relations with his wife because he doesn't see her in a sexual way anymore. And when she says, I'm pregnant, you can't touch me anymore, and never lets him see her naked, he's just fine because he really is tired of her. But I'm married. How can a wife fake a pregnancy well if you if you never see your wife pregnant if you uh, don't let him touch you anymore well then how how could you not be fooled like do they go out and buy baby clothes uh, expect a baby shower they the- buy maternity clothes they'll have baby shower they buy baby clothes and baby toys and all sorts of stuff. I mean, they prep their house, they build their nest. All some of them have planned the victim way out ahead of time. Others uh, are it's more of a spur of the moment thing. But with Lisa Montgomery, mm-hmm. she had originally said when she started saying she was pregnant was that she was carrying twins, and there was this woman she was developing a relationship with who was carrying twins. When that woman lost her twins um, at an early stage of the pregnancy, suddenly Lisa Montgomery was saying, oh, I lost one of my twins. I now only, I now only am carrying one, and it's going to be born in December. Well, she said that because she knew that at that point, Bobby Joe would be eight months pregnant, and she'd identified her as the next victim. Oh, my gosh. And that would be the time she'd go get the baby. One eight seven seven five two eight eight two five five is toll free throughout the U.S., Canada, Alaska, and Hawaii. My special guest this hour is Diane Fanning. Her website is www.dianefanning.com. All right, let's talk a little bit now about Elisa Nowak. Yes. How did a member of the most elite of all NASA squadrons get so unglued? Part of what made her come unglued is part of what helped her become an astronaut. Within her personality, she was very driven. She was very focused. She had learned that when you're pursuing a mission, compartmentalize things and keep them out of your mind so you can keep your focus. When she 
went went through as an astronaut the Columbia disaster mm -hmm. and saw that shuttle explode on reentry as it crossed over Texas. She didn't just see, you know, a, a, a team of heroes in the air blowing up. She saw three friends of hers blowing to bits, including her very best friend. But Lisa did not take care of her grief issues. She compartmentalized them. She didn't deal with them. She didn't even acknowledge them. She volunteered and became a grief counselor for the family members who had lost people on this shuttle. And she never dealt with that at all. It was soon after that she, she began her affair with Billy Oakley. And she had set up a situation mm -hmm. where she was planning out her life. And one of the things, after her trip into space, she wanted to go out again. And the trip into space was July of last year. She had Billy O in her life, and he was going to go up for the first time in December. Suddenly it seemed to her like they were going to be perfect for each other. It was time to leave her husband, and her and Billy O were going to be together forever, two astronauts in love. Well, then she found out that she'd been turned down for a mission and it was given to another woman because Lisa was determined not to be a good enough team player. Well, that totally devastated her because now she realized she'd probably never go into space again and this is the goal she worked for all her life and all she could think of was how much she wanted to go back into space again. And then, on top of that, things start getting disruptively argumentative in her home and in January, her and her husband separate in the early January. And But she still thinks she's got this thing with Billy O going on. And it, in mid-January, she finds out from Billy that he's met a younger woman and he's in love. And she plotted out and planned this mission to go confront her love rival because it was destroying her plans. And she planned it just like a mission. She had her preparation list. She had her map. She had her task. Everything was, was lined up and ready to roll. And she hit the road and head to Orlando. So she had everything planned. She had been jilted. It's, mm -hmm. it's, uh, this is a, a true-to-life story that you'd expect to find only on a Hollywood giant screen. Either that or in a high school. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's it's almost as if Lisa Nowak went through high school so focused on her mission to get into uh, the Naval Academy, get into the Navy, become an astronaut, that she didn't go through the normal craziness of young adolescent love when you do the incredibly stupid things and just saved that up and was experiencing that now. Tell me, what did the authorities really find in her car that night? And how did the diaper story get started in the first place? This is the thing with the diaper. When the lawyer said, 
the big media lie was that Lisa Nowak drove nonstop from Houston to Orlando wearing diapers. Well, he wanted, he was playing semantics. He wanted everyone to believe that the lie part of that statement was the diaper part. But that really wasn't it. What was a lie about that statement was the driving nonstop. She didn't drive nonstop. She stopped in Defuniac Springs. But by her own admission in her statement to the police right after she was initially arrested, she wore the diapers. That statement, however, has now been thrown out and cannot be presented at trial. I see. So how does uh, Lisa Nowak's alleged crime rank with other bizarre love affairs gone wrong, such as Amy Fisher, Jean Harris, Pamela Smart, and others? Well, it's hard to know how far Lisa would have gone if Colleen hadn't reacted quickly and gotten herself out of danger. Uh, The police seem to think, and the prosecutors, that what Lisa was going to do was kidnap and murder her rival. Uh, They described the materials that she had with her as a a murder and dismemberment kit. In her car, there were garbage bags, which you could use to dispose body parts. Mm -hmm. There was a huge knife that you could use to cut apart a body. There were restraints, rubber tubing that could be used as restraints. Uh, It seemed to be everything there that she needed, and initially they charged her with attempted murder, and they had to drop that charge because they couldn't come up with enough solid proof that that's what those materials were for, for. and so they just, the high charge is attempted kidnapping. But that's what she has in common with them, is the possibility that she would have gone all the way and left a, a victim in her wake. I tend to think that even if that was her plan, that she wouldn't have been able to pull it off under any circumstances. Because after she squirted that pepper spray at Colleen, and Colleen drove off, no one knew who she was. She was in a disguise. Colleen did not recognize her or know who she was. And she stayed in the parking lot. If she'd gotten out of the parking lot and, I mean, even hidden somewhere far away from the, as far as she could run from the parking lot, maybe no one would have ever known that she was the person there. But instead, she just stood there as if she was so stunned by the fact that she sprayed someone with pepper spray that she didn't know what to do. Is it possible she wanted to get caught? I think it is possible that after she sprayed Colleen, she did. Mm -hmm. Because I think at that point, she sort of came back to a more normal state of mind and realized that what she was doing and thinking about doing was just horrible. What, What effect has her case had on NASA, in your opinion? NASA is a very strange, cloistered place, and they, uh, anytime something bad goes wrong, 
they sort of pull into each other, and they don't. They won't talk officially. They don't want any of their astronauts to talk. Um, so getting someone to talk to me was extremely difficult. But I think the big impact that's going to happen is that they are reevaluating their mental health screening. And what they've set up is an environment where the screening is done before coming in to weed out people that would not be appropriate mm -hmm. for admission. And then the only time they do any follow-up on mental health issues is when someone comes to them. But in that highly competitive environment at NASA, you don't want to go and admit you have any problem. I guess not. Whether it's a problem with grief, a problem that you're getting a divorce, or anything like that, you don't want to admit it because that might take you out of the running for admission. Diane, please stand by. You and I have to take our final break for this hour. Diane Fanning's our special guest, www.dianefanning.com. Foundation and the Ad Council. Diane Fenning is our special guest. D-I-A-N-E-F-A-N-N-I-N-G dot com is her website. First of all, Diane, uh, thank you very much for joining us tonight and to you and your family. The very best of the Christmas season to you and uh, lots of love and light and joy for you in the year 2008. Well, thank you very much. The same to you. A quick question for you, Diane. Uh, have you been following the story about Joe Horn in Texas? Refresh my memory on that case. He's the gentleman who called up 9-11 and uh, told the dispatcher that somebody was robbing the... Two people were robbing the house next to him. It was 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, he had a shotgun, and the dispatcher told him to stay inside oh, the house. Yes. <laughs> he sounds like a, kind of like a Bernie Getz kind of character up in New York. Mm, he certainly does. Uh, like he wanted to find trouble and wanted to deal with it. Yeah. Do you find that the, uh, the gun crimes in the U.S. are are taking a turn for the worse? The, the gun situation in the United States is just dreadful because they are simply too easy to get a hold of a gun. Here in Texas, where I live, mm -hmm. they have the concealed carry law. And, you know, a lot of people, they feel that, um, you know, they go around with the bumper stickers that say, if you criminalize guns, only criminals will have guns. But, you know, that is the only way that it's ever going to get cleaned up in this country. 
uh, if you criminalize it and just take them away, at least something other than uh, hunting rifles mm -hmm. and things that specifically could be used for sport. The handgun situation is handguns are not there for hunting unless you're hunting people, and they need to be gone along with assault rifles. Oh, gosh, yeah. You know, the uh, the criminals uh, out um, outweigh the police when it comes to the weapon power. Yes, yes, and it, and it just, it, it's got to end. But unfortunately, the uh, NRA has a mentality that means that one small rule is like throwing everything out, and we won't have any guns, it'll become a police state. And they're just nuts on that point. And they have a lot of money and, unfortunately, a lot of influence in the legislature. Diane Fanning, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Continued success, and I'd love to have you back on the show in the near future. would love to do it. My pleasure. Take care of yourself, Diane, and Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Diane Fanning, ladies and gentlemen, D-I-A-N-E-F-A-N-N-I-N-G dot com. When we come back from the news at the top of the hour at six and a half minutes past, we'll be joined by Frank Joseph, who is the editor-in-chief of Ancient American Magazine. Uh, these statistics out today, a recent shoplifter profile prepared by Sensomatic Electronics Corporation, the world's biggest maker of shoplifting detecting systems, reveals who is stealing what and how much. Number 52% uh, of shoplifters are men, 71% are adults. The most frequently stolen items are cigarettes, athletic shoes, and clothing. Uh, the average of $20.36 of merchandise is stolen per theft. And Saturday is the most popular day, Sunday the least. I'll be back. Don't go away. Excited for a road trip? Start it off right with auto coverage from American Family Insurance. J.D. Power ranked us number one in customer satisfaction with the auto insurance shopping experience among mid-size insurers. Get a quote at AmFam.com. American Family Insurance. For J.D. Power 2021 award information, visit JDPower.com awards. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. 